Our Heavenly Father, as we go into part two, we pray that your Holy Spirit will be here. You'll be our real teacher. And thank you for being here. Thank you for the angels that can see your face that are present. And give us wisdom. In Jesus' name, amen. I was, uh, during the break, I was just having somebody, and I won't say who, so I was just having somebody tell me that, you know, they, they worked in a, a secular corporation and said what a wonderful experience it was. Then they worked in a religious setting and they said it was doing God's work, but it was such an awful environment. Is that possible? Is it possible? It certainly is. I commented to the individual, I said, you know, so the corporation that you're working for was using God's principles in the pursuit of mammon, and here is a religious organization using the devil's principles in order to try to get the Lord's word out. It's kind of a one interesting world sometimes. But what we want is we want the two together. Am I right? We want God's work to be carried out God's way. Uh, let me tell you what Ellen White says to some people like me. People say, oh, you're a conference president. I mean, let me just tell you this, or you're division president. I put my shirt on just like everybody else did this morning. Okay? Position does not give value to your life. I mean, it does not make you, I mean, no, it has value, but it doesn't make you more valuable than somebody else. Let me put it that way. Neither does it necessarily give you more wisdom. Um, it's, in fact, Ellen White says, you know, the job of conference presidents is to consult, to consult. Other times you have to give, you have to get things going, you have to give direction, et cetera, et cetera. You're expected to do that. But, the whole concept is that we are to consult with one another because we are all brethren. And I'll, I'll put the cistern in there too. We're all brethren and cistern. We're all, the ground is equal at the foot of the cross. Now that doesn't mean that we don't respect people's responsibility. We should. The pastor, I had, I talked to, I had a ministerial director told somebody the other day they had talked to a pastor and they not talked too nice to the pastor. And uh, the store director said to them, said, look, you know, I don't mind you having a difference of opinion, but you treat him with respect. But we should treat everybody with respect, should we not? Uh, it doesn't matter who they are. We should treat them with respect. Uh, does Jesus treat us with respect? He treats us with respect even when we are in the opposite camp from him. He still treats us with respect. I want to, um, we were left on the part about picking up the cross and following Jesus. I've got just a little bit more I want to do on this before we switch to another part here. And uh, I've got a little story on here that I'd like to tell you. I'm sorry I can't uh, pick up the young man's name right off. But how many of you are acquainted with the Alamo? Okay, some of you. How many are not acquainted with it? Very quickly, when Texas was trying to win its independence from Mexico, they were in a war. And they had a fortress that they took over, a fort called the Alamo. And uh, my dad, when something would go tough, my dad, when I was growing up, would say, and we were not from Texas, but he would say to us, just kind of one of his little quips, he'd say, okay, son, remember the Alamo. So when I got, ran across this little story, I thought it was kind of interesting. I liked the story a little bit. It's a sad story, 
But the Alamo, they only had about 160-some, 170-some defenders of the Alamo, and the Mexican general came up against that fort with 4,000 soldiers. They knew that they were, they were going to get wiped out. And he offered them surrender. He says, you surrender, you've got a few days to do it. If you surrender, then we'll save your life. But if you don't surrender, we're going to kill every one of you. So they, they consulted together. They had a young man there who was about 18, 19 years old. And, and they said, look, if we could get some reinforcements here, we could actually carry on a fight. But uh, who can go? Well, the young man says, I'll go. So he slipped through the, the lines of Santa Ana. And he made his way to another part of Texas, and he asked them for some reinforcements to come. And they said to him, look, we don't have the reinforcements. No reinforcements are coming. Now, he knew what that meant at that point. If he makes his way back through the lines of Santa Ana and delivers the message that there's no troops coming, it means they're all going to die, including him. He had a heavy responsibility, but he said, it's my responsibility to take it back, knowing he would be dead the next day, slipped through the lines of Santa Ana and delivered the message to the rest of them that there was no reinforcements coming. They'd already decided they were going to fight to the death, and they did. Every one of them lost their lives. Responsibility. Sometimes responsibility takes us places we wish it wouldn't. There have been times in my life saying, how did I get myself here? When you were in the Congo, how did you get yourself here? Well, you didn't. You were just bearing responsibility. He may tell you that story a little later, but taking responsibility is a, is a powerful thing. What does responsibility, what kind of responsibility does a Christian leader have? I, uh, not long ago, I was uh, uh, teaching, our, uh, I had a, a devotional for a stewardship seminar at Andrews University. The North American Division held one that asked me to hold a little devotional. And when, usually when you think about stewardship, what do you usually think about? You usually think about money. Oh, stewardship. Oh, those are the people that are going to help us give more money. That's what we usually think about. But that's a very, very narrow view of stewardship. Stewardship is really the management of my life. All right? Now, Jesus has a stewardship parable. And uh, I won't take time to read it. It's there found in Matthew chapter 24. It's the last part of it there. And he talks about a servant that he puts over his, that his uh, house. And he says the faithful servant gives food to everybody. The faithful servant or the faithful manager gives food to everybody just when they need it. I'm paraphrasing. But he says then there's the unfaithful manager. And the unfaithful manager says, my Lord's delayed his coming. And so he begins to eat and drink and, and have a party and, and he's just a mess. And everything goes to a mess. I want to say that if you have a responsibility, if you're the youth leader in your local church, if you're the elder, the Sabbath school teacher, or whatever you are, there's other areas of stewardship that are very, very important. And one of the areas of stewardship is the stewardship of the truth. In other words, we need to take care of the truth. Contend for the faith that was once delivered to the saints. Sometimes that can be costly for us, but we have responsibility. Sometimes people won't like that. Sometimes people will say, well, but it, it really doesn't matter, you know, we want to be nice. Well, 
we're always going to be nice. But that doesn't mean that we're going to sacrifice the truth as it is in Jesus. So what kind of responsibility does a Christian leader have? We have a responsibility to guard the truth. How carefully have we studied the life of Christ? And I will stop here. I am just amazed. I'm amazed many times at how little we know about the practice of Christianity. You won't know the church. I got a certain church right now and, and they are all mad at each other. It's not very big, thank God. They're all angry at each other. I'm not going to get into the details. I'm not going to tell you what the... But I, I, I was talking to them. I've had them in my office. I, I've been on the phone. And I said to them, you know what you're trying to do? I said, you're trying to find a political solution. Christian leaders, Christian leaders need to understand that our problems in the church are not political. They're spiritual. Let me explain what I mean by that. Two sides. And they, you know, I feel like saying what Jesus said when he says, who made me judge over you? You ever hear Jesus do that? Somebody came to him and said, yeah, we got a property problem here. And Jesus looking, who made me judge over you? But they came to me and they say, this is what happened. And then the other side comes to me and says, oh, this is what happened. I wasn't there. I didn't hear it. And at some point, I'm not going to be able to straighten that out. You understand? And at some point, I can try to play a political solution by saying, okay, this person's right and you folk are wrong and you just need to, you know, said, I, I can, you can try that. At the, at the end of the day, the only thing that will put those folk back to, together is the practice of Christianity, which means that I got to forgive somebody for doing something to me and still love them and put my arm around them and continue to function with them. The practice of Christianity. Whatever happened to the Beatitudes? I was in one church one time and, and they were having some kind of whatever. We have wonderful churches, by the way, in Michigan. I have wonderful pastors. But people are people. You understand? I don't care wherever you go, people are people and, and something's going to happen. I was in, I was in one one church, and it was a larger church, and they were having some kind of whatever. And, and I just sat there and looked at all of them and quoted the Beatitudes. It's kind of hard to be mad at somebody when you hear Jesus say, and, and it say, you know, blessed are the meek. And by the way, if you ever have uh, in your heart, if you ever feel a lot of stress, just start repeating the Beatitudes. It'll bring a calmness. Blessed are the merciful. What's the rest of it? 
I look at some people sometimes and I said, do you need mercy? Do you have any shortcomings? Do people have to put up with your shortcomings? Let me ask it in here. Do people have to put up with your shortcomings? Come on! Don't tell me you don't have any. So if people have to put up with your shortcomings, shouldn't you put up with other people's shortcomings? As leaders, we have to understand that. We also have to understand people don't come in perfect packages. They don't. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall what? Obtain mercy. So if you want mercy, you've got to give mercy. And if you don't give mercy, you're not going to... That's the practice of Christianity. And uh, so my, my point is, as Christian leaders... We need to be really, really acquainted with the Beatitudes. We need to be really acquainted with the fruits of the Spirit. That is as much truth as the Sabbath. And somebody should have said amen. I love the Sabbath. But what good will the Sabbath do me if I'm mean? You know, uh, sometimes I say to people, I say, you know what, uh, or they ask me stuff, and I'll say, you know, the best tool I've got in my toolbox? Anybody want to guess what it is? In my leadership toolbox? You know, my best tool? i got several tools, but I have a really good tool. Nobody wants to guess? Forgiveness. Forgiveness? That's a good one. i got that in there. That's hard sometimes. It's easy to say, but it's hard. Because the old carnal nature doesn't want to forgive. Oh, yeah, what was the other one? That's a good one. That's really good. I got that in there, I hope. What's that? Yes, Paul says, when I'm weak, I'm strong. If I'm weak in, weak in self. Love. That's getting close. That's getting really close. I wanted to find it a little bit more. Can you help me? Oh, patience. That's a tough one. People like me just want to get stuff done yesterday. You know that? I mean, me and the Lord, we argue about stuff sometimes. No, I never win. He always wins. <laughs> Meekness is good. Here's, here's my best tool. It's called the golden rule. And that is love, isn't it? Is to treat people. So if I, if I, have, if I have a fellow colleague, a teacher, a pastor, somebody in the office sitting across from me, I try to say, okay, if I were in their place, how would I want to be treated? If I were in their place, what would I think? How would I think? I've had a time or two where somebody was just, you know, well, you just can't do this. And, you, you know, just, I said, okay. I said, let's trade places. Let me be you and you be me. Now you tell me what you would do. And all of a sudden... Things get silent. So well, I, I had one person look at me and said, Well, but you are you. You have to do whatever you have to do. I said, No, you tell me what you would do if you were me. And they, did, they couldn't come up with anything else. In other words, that proved to me at that point I was treating them well. You understand what I'm saying by that? Now, there's been times when I've had a person say, Well, would you try this? And I got thinking about it. I said, You know, I think that's fair. Let's try that. Let's try that. See if it works. See if it gives us a solution. Don't you like solutions? Oh, we're going to talk about solutions at some point here, aren't we? And, and uh, we're going to have a good time with that. But anyway, we're talking about 
about following Jesus and Christian leadership. And I'm going to tell you, you better go to the go go to the fruits of the spirit, go to the beatitudes, go to the golden rule, put those in your toolbox. And you'll be amazed at the difference that makes in the surroundings uh, that you have. And I wish I were perfect at uh, the application of all those. And I know that I'm not, but we keep trying, keep getting back up, as David Asherick says. All right, do we really know what Jesus teaches? I, you know, what does Jesus teach? I want to apply those teachings in a practical way to my, uh, to my life. That's the only way we can lead is to lead where he follows. A follower follows because he believes in and trusts the leader. To what extent do you believe in and trust Jesus? That's a powerful question. You must ask yourself, to what extent, how far do you believe that uh, in, in the teachings and trust the teachings of Jesus? Uh, by the way, someone during the, during the um, what should I say, during the uh, break came up to me and they they pointed out something on the nevertheless and they gave me another illustration of the nevertheless. It's a very powerful illustration. And that's when Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane where he says, Lord, I don't want to drink this cup. Could Jesus see the cup? Could, could he see the whipping that he was going to get on his back? Could he see that? Could he see the mockery and the spit and the horrors of everything he's going to, could he see it? When he gets at the tomb, can he see through, can he see through the gates of the tomb? Can he see any hope on the other side of the tomb? Can he see anything? All he can see is darkness. And that's why that cup trembles in his hand because all logic points to absolute failure and finish for him. Except for one thing. His father. He's following his father. His father says, at that moment, the nevertheless, I'll abandon whatever I can see and trust you with the darkness. So as a Christian leader... Will you follow Jesus? The question is, is, how do you know you will follow Jesus? You're going to have to reach down deep inside yourself and ask those questions. Any questions on that before I switch to teachability? Um, if you're going to be a leader, any kind of leader, we've got to be teachable. I think we've already established that fact that, first of all, our major teacher, our most important teacher, is the Lord Jesus himself. Am I right? We sit at his feet. We learn his ways. But do we also learn from each other? Does Jesus teach us through other people? Absolutely teach us through other people. I have just, I, uh, Elder Paul Retsara came to our conference. I have just learned so much from him. I've been so blessed by him. And, uh, and I've told some of our workers, I said, you know, I think, I think Jesus was speaking to us through his servant. His servant. That's not, to, that's not to lift up the servant. It's to lift up Jesus. But Jesus does use people to teach. And I have to have an ear to be listening for the voice of Jesus in lots of places. And uh, I see John here. Um, somebody gave me one of John's um, CDs. Four or five years ago, John. It's been that long. Time goes fast. Maybe. Anyway, it was 
it was this whole thing on what it means to really surrender my life to Christ. And I mean, I love the Lord. I was doing, I was doing good things, I think. But I, all of a sudden, after listening to that, I found a struggle in my heart. Because I always wanted veto power in my prayer life to say, Lord, you know, I, and all of a sudden I came face to face that you know, God just might say no a lot of times. And I might have to let him say no. And still be happy. Because I trust him with the yes and the no. That is at the heart of Christian leadership. You, you, you've got to go there because we've got to take people there. You know, at the end of the day, we're all like John the Baptist. John the Baptist says, my greatest joy is being a friend of the bridegroom. My greatest joy is not being a leader. My greatest joy is getting people together with the Savior. I love that about John the Baptist. Well, teachability. Uh, This is John Woden, and he says this. He said, it is what you learn after you know it all that counts. So you can have a lot of experience. And you know, guys like me, you got to watch. Guys like me, I got to watch a guy like me. Let me. Let me tell you, because you know what happens to us. The danger for you and me, Pastor Paul, the danger for you and me is that we got a lot of gray hair. We've had a lot of experience. We've been through a lot. And it's easy for us at some point to sit back and say, well, you know, we know. We've had the experience. And there is some truth to that. But you better underline the word some. Because, let me tell you, the longer I live, I think the less I know. It's not because I haven't learned. It's just that the field gets bigger. You understand? And you have to trust the Lord more. You have to trust Him more. Um, There's nothing worse in leadership than a know-it-all. And God hates arrogance. Isn't arrogant somebody that really knows it all? They got the confidence. They know that. I think it's good to have confidence in the Lord and to move. You don't want to be timid all the time. There's a place for timidity. But not just to be arrogant. God hates it. You can read all in the scripture. He hates arrogance. Um, this is coming from Ellen White, and I want to uh, look at this for a minute. All who occupy responsible positions. Let me ask you, if you're the leader of the young people in your Local church is that a responsible uh, is that a responsible position? Yes. Amen. Whoever occupies a responsible position, um, stop here. If you're a mother in your home, is that a responsible position? Whoa. If you're a father, hmm. All who occupy responsible positions need to learn the lesson that is taught in Solomon's humble prayer, they are ever to remember that position will never change the character or render men infallible. 
I, and I think you really, that, this was a huge problem in the days of Jesus. If you look at the Sanhedrin, Ellen White talks about the contrast between Caiaphas and Jesus there in the temple where Jesus had, uh, was teaching the people and Caiaphas shows up to demand uh, why he's doing this. She says Caiaphas stood there, his hair silver and his robes impressive. He had a dignified bearing. Everywhere he went, people almost worshipped him. Those are my words. And then she says in contrast, to that was Jesus filled with serenity unafraid face filled with God's love and she noted the contrast Uh, position never changes our character character is something that we choose beyond position The higher the position a man occupies, and let me tell you, this gets scary. Do not stand in line for high positions. Do not do it. The only comfort, there there are lots of times I get up in the morning and I find myself, in a good southern expression, scared spitless. And I say, what am I doing here? Um, and then the Lord says, you know, Jay, it's not your business. You remember, I put you here. I put you here. You, you want to know that, that God was doing the work and not you. The higher position a man occupies, the greater responsibility he has to bear Notice the word responsibility. The wider will be the influence he exerts. And we want to talk about influence, and I don't know when you want to do that, but at some point. Um, you want to do that? Not, not now? Okay. I, I will say that one person has said that leadership is one thing. Leadership is influence. John Maxwell, nothing less, nothing more. And there's some truth to that. Influence. Uh, Question and answer. Is there anyone that has no influence? Does everybody in this room have influence? Are you influencing somebody right now? Is your life influencing somebody right now? And why it says that is a talent, by the way, what you do with your influence. So even though we're all followers, in another sense, we're all leaders, are we not? By the way, some of you join us. You, you can have questions or that kind of thing. It's a seminar. I want it to be a learning, a learning uh, thing. Let's go on here just a little bit more. The wider will be the influence he exerts and the greater his need to fill his... What's the next word? Does that sound like a follower to depend on somebody else? Most leaders aren't noted to be dependent. Most leaders are, are, look at themselves as everybody's dependent on them instead of them being dependent. But we need to be dependent on our Savior, on the wisdom and the strength of God, and to cultivate the best and most holy character. Notice where Ellen White puts all this emphasis. She's talking about leaders here who have high responsibility. She puts, her, she puts the emphasis on character, which you do not hear very much. And these lectures on... Um, on uh, leadership, you hear very little about character. 
Uh, some of them are, get, are beginning to wake up. I notice that some additional books are being printed and, uh, and some of them begin to wake up. But character is so, so important. And then notice where else she says that uh, it goes, depending on the wisdom and the strength of God, not your own wisdom. Why is that important? Why is it important to spend on, on, on God's wisdom? I saw, do you start to answer for me? Okay, you're so, you're so human. I'd like to suggest to you that we, we are in a very narrow dimension. We can't see very far. Am I right? Ever ride at night with your headlights and you put your bright lights on and there's still not enough to penetrate the darkness or the snow or the fog? You just can't see. But so far, so therefore you have to depend on God's wisdom because how far can He see? There's no fog, no snow that he can't go through. Right there in the back. Speak up really nice and loud for me. I just think about the text we read in the first session where Jesus himself said, I am myself and you're nothing. And if that's his situation, how much worse is my situation? Ah, well said. His note was, I'm doing this for the, the record here, that if Jesus depended on his Father and for to see, then how much more do we need to depend on our Heavenly Father? Please. I have learned this in a hard way. Um, I was put as a conference president of a field when I was only 32. And that was a big conference, half of the union. And uh, the one who were before me, the age of my father, and um, uh, you can imagine that it was a heavy responsibility. But, you know, at that age, sometimes we think that you, you know many things. And there was a big problem, actually, in my conference. Uh, that was, um, had the potential, actually, to split my team into two. So I tried to find out, find a way to solve it. Um, I, I lost sleep for about 15 days, 15, 15 nights, working hard and trying to ask people and so on. But it seems that I, I could not penetrate the, the darkness of this issue. I tried very hard. I lost sleep. Then one night, I said, Lord, I surrender this thing to you. I'm going to sleep tonight. I'm going to sleep tonight. I, I give up. I'm, I tried. I used my little brain and so on uh, for 15 days. But there was no way. So tonight, I'm going to sleep. Please take care of this. I went to bed for the first time after 15 uh, days. I had a sound sleep. Around 1 o'clock. That night, it was almost an, an audible voice. I was woken up. Said, the voice said, do this. One, two, three, four, five. But 30 seconds. I applied it the following day. It worked. Amen. I worked for 15 days. No solution. I asked God to take care of it 30 seconds. I 
I learned this in a hard way. Uh, if you keep coming um, to the different series, I will expand that. Uh, listening to the voice of God. Being a leader. Uh, I think that is the key. To listen to his voice and to know his will. And to have the courage to do it no matter what. That is leadership. 30 seconds and 15 days. <laughs> I like that kind of solution. <laughs> like that solution. Let's go look at our... Let's go, I'll go back here. <clears throat> Those who accept a position of responsibility in the cause of God should always remember... They should do what? Always remember... Always remember that with the call to this work, God has also called them to work circumspectly before him and their fellow men. Unpack the word circumspectly for me. All right, you're all quiet. To go around? To go around? All the way around? All the way around? Make the full circle? Okay. It's good. To be where God is? Yes. I think it means that they are well connected to God and they're connected to those they serve. To walk circumspectly means if I walk in a circle, as I walk in the circle, God is at the center of that circle. So I don't stray off on my own path. In other words, have you ever seen people that, that uh, take a horse and they're training the horse and they have a horse on the end of a lead and the horse runs around in a circle in a corral? Have you ever seen that? I think that's circumspectly. In other words, the horse doesn't get out of where it's supposed to be. It stays tied to where it needs to be. So it says he wants us to always remember that the first thing our first duty is is that we were walk circumspectly before him and before their fellow men. What does the word before suggest? What, what's that? In the presence? I think it says that I should know always that God can see me. It also says my fellow men. What does that suggest? It suggests transparency. Am I right? So... I tell folk, I say, I don't have any secrets here, except except there may be some things in people's lives I'm not going to share because love covers a multitude of sin. Aren't you glad for that? So there's some things like that I'm not going. But when we make, when we make decisions, we should be able to show daylight on those decisions, should we not? So that people can say, yes, I understand why you did that. So that we're not simply doing something you know, in a wrong way. All right, let's, uh, let's go to the rest of this particular slide. Instead of considering it their duty to order and dictate and command. Woo! Some people should never be given responsibility. Amen. Until they... Learn this lesson. There's a place, there are commanding angels in heaven, are there not? And they carry out God's commands. 
But it's not just an arbitrary system. Sometimes in the church, it's easy for us to say, you know, I'm the pastor. I I may not say it like that, but somehow I want to make sure you get it. I'm the pastor. And maybe there's people like me that, you know, we want to make sure people get it. I am, you know who I am. God does not call his under shepherds, underline the word under. He is the shepherd. All we're doing is doing his work. He's the one who gives the orders. We're not called here to command in in a military fashion per se. Instead of considering it their duty to order and dictate and command, that doesn't mean that there's not times to do a little of that. But some people just think that's their duty. There are some people who think, ah, I'm I'm here to give orders. No, let's go on. They should realize that they are to be what? Learners. So that means if you're called to position responsibility, you're called to go to school. How about that? So the fact that I'm called to do this job that I'm doing right now means that I'm in school. Elder Atsara is in school. Division president, you're in school. Studying right now. What was that? Studying right now. (laughs) Amen. (laughs) Called me learners themselves. When a responsible worker fails to learn the lesson, the sooner he's released from his responsibilities, the better it will be for him and the work of God. Why is it better for him? You're very quiet. Because as long as he thinks it's his duty to command, dictate, and order, he's not developing Christian character. So he's locked into a place where he can't grow, he can't learn. So it's better for him not to be in that position so he can learn again. Because he's failed to be a learner. Position never gives holiness and excellence of character. That's why she said that. He who honors God, keeps His commandments, is Himself honored. One of the biggest challenges we have in the Seventh-day Adventist church and probably many churches, denominations, is that we have to be careful with our clergy. At our ordination service, I remind our young men that are being ordained, I say to them, Your pulpit is not a place for a politician. It's not a place for a comedian. It's not a place for an actor. It's a place to preach the Word of God. Do not make politicians out of your preachers. That's why I don't like applause. There's a place for applause in certain settings, okay? I'm not being rigid here. But when it comes to worship and when it comes to preaching the Word, don't don't applaud the preacher to the finish line. You mess up his head. Somebody said amen. Amen. The, The issue is we're not exalting man. We're, we're trying to hear the Word of God, okay? I, I didn't say that applause is wrong. Did you hear me say applause is wrong? You didn't hear me say that. I'm just saying you need to get it in the right drawer. 
And when a man is preaching, in my opinion, amen is a good response because it gives the glory to God or praise God. Or how about hallelujah? The Methodists used to call that holy noise. And the only reason I'm saying that is because, is because we don't want to get our religious leaders going the wrong direction. You know, it's dangerous. I, I pray for some of the young talent that we've got in this church. I really pray for them. I'm asking God to protect them. Because the talent brings with itself temptations that are terribly subtle. So when you see God has touched a man or a woman with wonderful talent, you say, Lord, thank you for the talent. Please protect them, that they will walk circumspectly always before you and their fellow men. Does that make sense? So all of us have responsibility there. All right. Position never gives holiness of character, etc., etc. He who honors God keeps his commandments and keeps his commandments is himself honored. So, and that's another thing. I, I was just reading, I'm reading right now the history. My wife got me the book. Uh, oh, you want to read something that's on leadership? This is powerful. Uh, I'm reading right now the history of the Re- Reformation by Dumenay. You know who that is? He's a French author. It's been translated into English. If you read the book Great Controversy, you'll find he's one of the most quoted authors in the book Great Controversy. And uh, my wife found it for me and gave it to me for my birthday. It was um, By the time she paid all the shipping and all that kind of stuff, it was $60 and it was a used copy. And I didn't know that she, she was going to do that. She, she'd heard me say something way back there and she was sweet enough to remember and uh, to think about it. And she got that for my, for my birthday. And I've been reading it. And, and one of the interesting points, Luther was a marvelous leader. But I'll tell you, what he went through before he became a leader, I, I'm convinced, made him the man that he was. I mean, this man, you talk about leadership and influence. This man has, all of you right now, are you've been influenced by Martin Luther. Do you know that? We wouldn't be here without Martin Luther. We wouldn't be in a seminar right now without Martin Luther. There wouldn't be any Seventh-day Adventist church without Martin Luther. God using Martin Luther. But he went, to, he went to Rome and he said, if I can remember all three of the things that they trafficked it in. He says, in Rome they trafficked in three things. They trafficked in money. No, I'm sorry. They trafficked in the grace of Christ. In honor. The applause of men. And women. That's what they traffic in. That middle one, honor. It's not about earthly honor. It's about the most important thing you'll ever hear said to you. Is not that your fellow men come up and say, you know, we want to elect you to so and so. Or we really like you. Or that was wonderful. Or thank you for that wonderful sermon. Those are not, that, that's not important. I got kind of quiet. It's not important. Let me tell you what is important. And that's when you hear the Lord someday say, well done. Or this is my beloved child in whom I am well pleased. And it was the Apostle Paul, by the way, who had that teaching. And leaders need to learn that. So if we want to really honor, we must just keep the God commandments of God. The question that each one of us should ask himself in all humility is, am I qualified for this position? M- most people think they're probably qualified to do anything. That was a hard lesson for me to learn, but it's been a really good lesson. When I was when I was uh, 
in my early 20s and started out in the ministry, man, you ought to see the list of stuff I was going to do. You know what that list looks like now? It's gotten real small. And I rejoice in watching other people do stuff and say, that's marvelous. That's wonderful. Praise God for that. I could have never done that in 10,000 years. Rejoicing in other people's abilities and accomplishments. That's a wonderful thing. By the way, the worst, one of the worst things you can have is an insecure leader. You want to be a good leader, don't be insecure. I, now, I got this from John Maxwell, and this is really good. He, he told an illustration about a minister. It was a non-Adventist minister. And he had a new intern, and the new intern came to see him. And when the intern came, he looked at him and he said, Now, I, you and I will get along just fine as long as you, you understand what I'm going to tell you. And the intern says, What's that? And the man reached in his pocket and he pulled out a piece of chalk. And he took him up to the pulpit. And he drew a circle around the pulpit. And he says, You and I will get along just fine as long as you never step into that circle. That's insecure. Why, why are we insecure? All of us have it, by the way. Sometimes I see it popping out of myself. I say, ooh. So, Jay, what are you afraid of? We're, we're afraid. What is fear? Fear is the opposite of faith. Fear cast, and perfect love cast out fear. I understand that. But faith also trusts. You trust God with your life. Amen? With me? All right, good. Pastor Ratsara, I'm watching for you. Anytime you want to comment on this, I want you to comment. Are you ready to comment on this? You want me to go ahead? Okay. The question each should ask himself and all human, am I qualified for this position? Have I learned to keep the way of the Lord to do justice and judgment? The Savior's earthly example has early um, earthly example has been given to us that we should not walk in our own strength, but each of us should consider himself as Solomon expressed it, a little child. What happened to Solomon? This man had it all: wisdom, the whole thing, humility, loved the Lord. He started out all the right feet. What happened? Can happen to him. What? Yeah. Yeah. He, uh, he got to the place that he felt he was well qualified for the position. He got to the place that he lost justice and judgment. And uh, he lost his humility. And he began to walk in his own strength and figure that he could figure it out. You know, I wonder if what happened. You remember that story where the two prostitutes came in front of him with the babies? What a sad story. Remember the story? And he said the knife, you know, I'll just cut one of them in half. And that way he determined. And that was a brilliant move. I mean, it was so brilliant. And all of Israel said, oh, wow. Whoa. And I think they must have praised the God of high heaven. And it just probably went to his head. Please, Kyle. Yeah. Could you talk more about am I qualified for these positions? Yeah. Because I think sometimes, you know, we get ourselves in positions where we certainly don't feel we're qualified, but that old statement that says God doesn't call it qualified, but qualified to call. Yeah. So maybe could you expand on that some more? 
Okay, let me repeat his question. His question was that the old statement where God doesn't, uh, qual- uh, he doesn't qualify the person, he qualifies the call. Is that the way you said it? He doesn't call the qualified, he qualifies the call. Okay, he doesn't call the qualified, he qualifies the call. Yeah, right. Well, um, yeah, let, let, me, let me talk about that just a little bit because it's a delicate, it's a tension. There, there's a tension there. Uh, let me just go back to my own personal experience just a little bit. Um, I was in the 10th grade, I think, and I sensed the call of the ministry. And I think that there were natural inclinations and natural talents in my life that, that would lend themselves to be a blessing in the ministry. And I think we have to all take personal inventory. There are people, God loves, let me put it this way, God loves variety. Amen? Amen. He loves variety. Uh, look at a forest. When you ride down, and look at a forest. Even, even if you look at a forest of conifers, there's all kinds of conifers in there. All kinds of evergreens. And the truth is that God does that because we all need one another. So there's an interdependence that goes on here. So that means I do need to, at some point, take stock of my talents and my passions. I think God puts passions in people's lives. Uh, you, you, I think it, I, I use the ministry because that's just where I'm at. If, if, you were, if you were to talk about being a physician, I don't have, I'm not qualified for that. I'm not really good at math. I, I just don't have, I love science, but I just don't have a scientific brain. So if you were to ask me, am I qualified to be a physician? I'd probably say, no, I'm not going to go down that road. Because I, I just don't have the aptitude for that. I probably don't have the aptitude to be a nurse either. I could probably work on the bedside manners. But I don't want to be one of those doctors that has great bedside manners and I'm a butcher in the surgery room. (laughs) My mother, by the way, worked as a nurse in an OR room and she says they're not all created equal. (laughs) I probably have physicians in here right now, so I'm not trying to be hard. Neither are preachers created equal. And I, and I think sometimes we don't go looking for something, but God sends people to encourage us. Uh, God sent a pastor in my life to encourage me. He, at 16, he wanted me to hold an evangelistic series. And he says, Jay, I, I, think, you, I think we see in you, you, you ought to think about the ministry. And I felt that call in my heart. But if he had said, I think you need to be a doctor, a physician, it would have sent me down the wrong road. And I had to look at myself and say, I just don't have the aptitude for that. So I think you've got to look at stuff. Do I have it? But the other thing, uh, do I have the aptitude for it? I think the other thing that you've got to look at is where is God leading in that? How does he open his providences for that? And I don't think any of us, I'll just put it just blunt. I don't think any of us are qualified to be a minister of the gospel. I don't, I'm not qualified. I'm not qualified to be the pastor of a conference. I mean, I have so many clay feet. So there is then that step where God says, okay, I, I'm going to do the calling now and, and I'm going to help you and as long as you depend on me. Let me ask you a question. Was Solomon qualified to be king? I heard yes and no. Okay, give me, you, you, you give the answer. He said it himself when he was praying to the Lord. He said, I don't know how to come in. I don't know how to go out. I'm just a child. Right. 
I think that's where humility, Kyle, kicks in here. I think it's good to, to assess your talents. I think it's important to hear people saying to you that you have confidence in. God is, I think God's leading you this way. You should consider this. I think those are important moments. At the same time, to go along with that, you've got to look at yourself and say, you know, could I do this? Now, there are times when God can come and overrule any aptitude that you have. Can you think of somebody in the Bible where God overruled an aptitude they didn't believe they had? Moses. Moses. And what did God say to Moses? Yeah, who made your mouth, Moses? Don't you love it? But I tell you what, God doesn't always do that. And there's some people who do not have the talent for that, that God hasn't come and said to them, I'm sending you anyway, that maybe, maybe you should, you should go in another direction. It's a, Kyle, it's not an objective set of standards, it's subjective. There, there's this concept that somehow, there, there's a difference between the, the gifts of the Spirit and talent. Let me let me explain. I was in I was pastoring a large church in in uh, in a certain place, and I had a wonderful group of people. They were just out giving Bible studies, and we had a certain person who came there really meant well. I'm not trying to be anything derogatory, but this person came in and says, "Look, when you were baptized, God gave you these gifts of the Spirit, and these gifts fell on you, and I've got a test for you, and I want you to find out what your gift is." I thought, "Whoa, whoa." This is wonderful. I think I haven't come to my church because I heard this at workers' meeting. So I went back to my church and I, I preached this and I handed it out. And I, all of a sudden I had people coming up to me that were giving Bible studies and winning souls and they were saying, you know, I, I took the test and I found out that giving Bible studies wasn't my gift. So I'm going to quit. <laughs> and I said, Lord God, what did I do? And I... And I, I felt the conviction, go back to Scripture and see what I'm teaching. And this is what I discovered. When you were born, you have talent. It's in your genes. I know people that could, can look at a piano and figure it out and start playing. Have you ever seen people that can play by ear as good as somebody that can play by needs, notes? I, I never had that gift. My mother wanted me to have it so bad. She sent me, she sent me three years of piano lessons. And I can just barely eke out something with my right hand. I just didn't have it. Um, when you're born, you got talents. When you're baptized, the talents now belong to the Lord Jesus. Yes. Amen. Wherever they, they belong to the Lord Jesus. And you should bless those talents. Educate those talents. Those are good things. Education is a good thing to equip those talents. But the gifts of the Spirit are supernaturally given when you run out of talent. Next part's very important. To advance the gospel. Am I right, Pastor? Isn't that what happened in Acts? Could those guys, did they have any understanding of how to organize a church? Twelve fishermen? Not twelve, oh, they weren't all fishermen. But you understand God had to give them stuff. Did they need language? Skills? Did they have time to go to school and get it? 
you speak four languages. I no, not envious is not the right word. I'm so proud of you. Someday Jesus will help me. Maybe. Come in. I can see you. You got it on your face. Come over here and, and add to this. The, the, see where I'm going? I, don't forget this brother here. I got to get back to that brother in a minute. Yeah, I just want to maybe to comment on this very important uh, question about um, the qualification. Uh, I want us to study probably one, two passages in the scripture very briefly because our time, I think, is uh, about to be up. Second um, Corinthians chapter 2 and chapter 3, I, I like this. It is about Paul. He said here, Second um, Corinthians chapter 2, verse 16, To the one who are the smell of death, to the other the fragrance of life. And this is the question. And who is equal to such a task? So, for Paul, really, he said, No, I'm not qualified for this position. But if we continue uh, the reading of the passage uh, into chapter 3 this time, and verse 14, and I read, anyway, um, yes, starting with verse 3. Such confidence as this is our through Christ before God, not that we are competent in ourselves, to claim anything for ourselves, but our competence comes from God. So you see the contrast here. To be qualified is to feel that you are disqualified. So that God can give you the competence you need. That is the key. And when you study, uh, actually... The writings of Paul, it is always there. He said, no, who is equal to this task? I can't. I have done this. I persecuted the church. I'm not qualified even to, to preach this gospel. And then said, yes, because I am not qualified, God gives the competence, qualification to do this. But if we feel competent, we're qualified, then that means you are already full. Uh, there is no room for God. And uh, uh, here, verse 6. He has made us competent as ministers of the new covenant. Not of the letter, but of the spirit. And then quickly, let's go to the Old Testament. You see, uh, the children of Israel needed to, uh, to build the tabernacle. And, uh, you know, they did not have the skills to do this. It's very, very difficult task to accomplish. So God intervened. And we will talk more about this, about leadership. I do believe, brothers and sisters, dear young people, that what we need now in leadership is God's intervention. When you, when you study the Bible, it is about God's intervention. From the beginning, the creation is God's intervention. Redemption, God's intervention. Those miracles, Old Testament, New Testament, the Christianity through the ages, God's intervention. And the bad thing is that somehow that is played down. We need to get it back. And that is the key. 
for Christian leadership to go back to the real thing, which is allowing God to intervene again. So here, um, Exodus chapter 35, 35 and verse 30, said 30 to uh, 34, and even 35. Then Moses said to the Israelites, See, the Lord has chosen Bezalel, son of Uri, the son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah. And he has, definitely they were not qualified. They were part of the, the slaves and uh, they didn't get, get this, uh, this training. So God has chosen them. And then verse 3, And he has filled him with the Spirit of God. That is the first qualification, by the way, to be filled with the Spirit of God. Spirit of God with skill, ability, and knowledge in all kinds of crafts. And then uh, he was also given the ability to teach others, verse 34. And in uh, verse 36, so Bezalel, Walahab, and every skilled person to whom the Lord has given skill and ability to know how to carry out all the work of constructing the sanctuary. So this is the key. We will talk more about this um, probably this afternoon, about this uh, God's intervention. I, I'm so thrilled by this one. And, and I think this is the key. And, and I believe that if we get this, um, when we finish the seminar, I think uh, our seminar is successful because that is the key. I have experienced this in, in the leadership, allowing God to intervene because God, the way God leads his church is by intervention. All right. Okay. I think our time, our time is up. This media was produced by Audioverse and Hope Media Ministry for GYC, Generation of Youth for Christ. If you would like to listen to more great media like this presentation, or if you would like to learn more about GYC, please visit www.gycweb.org. You can also find great witnessing media at www.audioverse.org and at www.hopevideo.com